Today's episode of the Theater People podcast is brought to you by Stage Door Manor. For more information on their summer theater programs, check them out at stagedoormanor.com. Welcome to the Theater People podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. You guys, I am really, truly thrilled to be bringing you today's episode with the one and only Nathan Lee Graham. I first became aware of the powerhouse performer that is Nathan Lee Graham back in 2003 when I saw him in the off-Broadway production of the play Hit the Wall. It's a play about the Stonewall Riots. And as a lot of you know, I'm a total gay history nerd. And since the Stonewall Riots, which were the birth of the modern gay civil rights movement, And if you don't know about the Stonewall Riots, please give it a Google and learn about them. Anyway, since the riots happened literally steps from the theater where Hit the Wall was performing, I was obsessed with the piece. Nathan would go on to make his Broadway debut in 2000 in The Wild Party, alongside Eartha Kitt, Norm Lewis, Tanya Pinkins, Tony Collette, and Mandy Patinkin. He was also seen in the off-Broadway show Wig Out, and he was back on Broadway for Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And now Nathan is back off-Broadway in the hit original musical The View Upstairs, which tells the true story of the murderous arson attack on a gay bar called The Upstairs Lounge in New Orleans in 1973. The show is amazing, and Nathan is amazing in it. In fact, he just received a Lortel nomination for his work. Lastly, in January at BroadwayCon, I moderated a panel of out gay Broadway actors that included Nathan, as well as Lisa Crone, Jay Armstrong Johnson, Beth Malone, Andrew Keenan Bolger, and Robin De Jesus. It was truly one of the most memorable conversations of my career. Nathan mentions it in the interview, just so you're not confused about what we're talking about. Okay, here's our conversation. Hi, Nathan Lee Graham. Hello, Patrick. I was just going to ask you. You know, so, first of all, wait a minute. Please. Before we start. I love the, the name Patrick. You do? Because it makes me feel like Auntie Mame every time <laughs> I say it. Specifically Rosalind Russell. But uh, You know, I am obsessed with um, the um, American Psycho, the musical that was on Broadway for like two weeks last year. Yes. And Helena York, who I think is like the funniest actress. So Pat Bateman is like the main character. Yes. And the way she's... Did you see it? Yes. Like, Patrick. Patrick. And so I keep saying that I need to have her on the podcast, A, because I love her, but B, because I just want to hear her say my name like it's that. It's just so great. Patrick. How can you see with all of that light? You know, I just love it. Anyway, let's get, let's get on with the yes, show. Yes, please. Well, okay. So, so we were just talking about how like you get recognized for like various things. Yes. I'm wondering if I'm the first person to ever accost you in an elevator for hit the wall. No, really? No that that show really resonated with so many people. Truth and. What it does when that happens, when I'm accosted in an elevator with, with hit the wall, <laughs> what happens is I realize that that person really knows his stuff mm-hmm. and they're really listening and they're really watching and they're really conscious. Yeah. And so I take even extra time to say thank you um, because it, it, it really matters. And so when you, when you accosted me, <laughs> as you put it. I've seen you around so many yeah. times, and I'm always like, that's Nathan Lee Graham from Hit the Wall, and I've never been, it's never been appropriate, not that it was appropriate for you, the look on your face, because I was so excited to be in an elevator with you, I was like, hi, and you just, like, your eyes lit up, like, they went all the way back in your forehead, and I was like, oh, no, maybe he doesn't like it when people talk to him, but you were just like, then you were so nice. Yeah, and no, it's just that I genuinely get surprised when people recognize me. Really? And it happens every day, but it's always... Surprising to me. You have such a memorable face, if nothing else. Thank you. Yeah. Um, But I genuinely do because people don't have to do that. Uh, 
They don't have to go out of their way to speak to people. If you move people in some kind of way, mm-hmm. it always excites me and I'm always pleasantly and honestly surprised. It's funny too because I I don't always look at the people that I'm having on the podcast. They're they're like TV and film work because we I love to talk about it, but we don't usually have time or whatever. Yeah. And then today when I was realized that you were in Zoolander, I was like, wait a minute. Because I think that one of the fun so I was like a hospitality person forever. <laughs> like I was a bartender for like a love thousand bartenders, years. are you kidding? I mean, who doesn't? But like the moment in Zoolander where Will Ferrell drinks his latte and he doesn't like it and it's too hot and like the over the topness of him like just intentionally spilling it on you, I was like, is that Nathan Lee? So I had to like rewatch the clip this morning because it stands out to me as one of the funniest things I've ever seen on film. Well, listen, they even teach that portion of the film in like USC uh, comedy classes on film. They do? Yes. There's even a board game where that specific scene is in it. When we did the foamy latte scene originally, it was shot. Uh, we we shot that fourteen times. You had to get it spilled on you fourteen times. Yes, and the reaction is real because it's cold. So oh. whether it's cold or hot, uh-huh, it looks uh-huh. the same on film, yep. right? And I remember specifically uh, Ben Stiller going, "It's not showing up on his T-shirt. It's not showing up on his T-shirt." <laughs> and then they were like, "Well, what kind of T-shirt is it?" He said, "We need to exist T-shirts. So the gayest T-shirts, and they show up because they're tight. We need them to be tighter." And they weren't tighter. He's like, "What's going on?" And so they literally had to slice the T-shirts on both sides and like stitch them up. Oh my god! So that it's it, so that the spill would read even more. This is the uh, the original Zoolander. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And of course, in the uh, in the sequel, I'm wearing Givenchy, and we had to buy a lot of Givenchy shirts. And <laughs> how how okay? We're gonna get to like your amazing body of theater yes. in like one minute. But like, wh- how is it to work with Will Ferrell? Is he like the normalest guy? Yes, he is. Really, so normal, so sweet, so nice, so generous. Um, wants everybody to do well in a scene, so he's so generous yeah. in that way. Um, I can't say enough about him. He's a great dad, husband. Yeah. Um, he is really, really funny. Is he like a cut up when you guys are just like hanging out? Um, I wouldn't say that he is a practical joker, but if we get going on a tangent, yeah. And then to me, for me to be sitting in a room with Kristen Wiig and Will Ferrell. Oh my God. In a green room. I can't even imagine. In Rome. <laughs> Where they have the former sets of Ben Hur sitting around, and you is know, is that these, true? Oh yeah, wow, so lovely that studio that we were at in Rome. Did you learn a lot? Like, where, where, do you go into a situation like that? Like, I just want to do my job and do it well, or are you like, but I also want to like learn from these people? I think it's simultaneous. Yeah. I mean, if you want to learn something and you want to be good at your job, you have to do both. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it's like a osmosis. You have to sort of soak it up. You have to really sort of listen and then uh, play off one another. I mean. That's what I do all the time. Yeah. I'm always listening, always watching, not really stealing, but recognizing when something works. Yeah, totally. You know? Well, speaking of something that works, let's talk about The View Upstairs. Please. Yay, The View Upstairs. Yes. So, okay, I was just talking to Daniel J. Fortune. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if his middle initial is J, but it is now. <laughs> um, so he says that you don't read reviews. No, I don't. Not one. You should read this one. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be the first person to tell you that. No, you haven't been, but Eartha told me, Eartha Kit, my Oh my friend, God, you just like, she, but casually, oh, Eartha. But no, she told me never to read reviews, and so um, oh, I actually right, stopped, of course. I actually stopped uh, in uh, 2000. So the last review I read- Was The Wild Party? Mm, I didn't even read those. Wow. Um, uh, I did 
a version of Jesus Christ Superstar with Emily Skinner and Billy Porter oh at the Helen God. Hayes Theater. And Stephen Aremus was the musical director. This was the first thing he ever did. Wow. And um, Constantine uh, was in that. And just wonderful, wonderful people, right? Who directed that? Uh, uh, Gordon Greenberg. Wow. Yes, at the Helen Hayes. Um, and um, in Nyack. And that was the last review I read. And it said, the New York Times review said, um, this is the definitive re- rendering of Herod. I played Herod, King Herod. Uh, the definitive rendering of an all too campy role that's usually pushed to the side. I was like, that's good enough for me. <laughs> well, I'm I'll just never saying, read another one. If you, um, if you like reading positive reviews about yourself, <laughs> this might be a, a nice place now, to Now, sometimes, to you know, up. like years later, if I want to learn something, you know, uh, I'll read it. I suggest mm-hmm. when people are starting out that they do read reviews yeah. because it gives you sort of a gauge of how you're being perceived, you know, and then you have to take it with a grain of salt because it's from one particular slant, one particular point of view, but it can be beneficial when you're first starting out. Yeah. I figure, uh, if they're really terrible, someone will let you know. (laughs) And the director, you know, you hopefully trust that and, um, your colleagues that come and see it and support you. Yeah. Um, so the view upstairs. Okay. So I, I, I so I'm like a gay history nerd. Like yes. I love gay history. My mom's gay. I was like brought up in the community. Like so lucky, so very lucky. And although I will say, my mom. I mean, it's like so. It's ridiculous to think about this now. My mother was the last person I ever came out to, because I. And but I that say makes that, sense. Yes. And, but I also say that as though it wasn't the most obvious, like, as though I needed to come out. But my, you know, I was afraid of, like, the pride parade around the living room. I was, yeah. I literally did not want to, like, have a conversation about, like, sex with my mother. Exactly. You know? And the redundancy of it all. Yeah. Exactly. 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 <laughs> so, but, so I knew, I knew about the upstairs lounge fire. And You're massacre. one of the few. I know. Unfortunately. It's so bizarre. Will you tell the people, I sometimes forget that actors don't necessarily always know the whole backstory. Do you happen to know the backstory of the upstairs lounge fire? I, I know, I know the parameters of it. Do you feel comfortable sort of explaining to the people like what it was and, and what your show is doing? Well, here's what's happening with the view upstairs. It's a first of all, it's a beautiful show Gorgeous. about something that was very tragic. Um, they never caught the person that committed this arson attack against 32 uh, individuals who died in this fire of the upstairs lounge um, in New Orleans in 1973. Um, but the peculiar the peculiarities of the uh, I can't say that word right now um, <laughs> the, pecu- the peculiarities I should say of uh, there's that syllable of of the thank you <laughs> good lord lines much words much. Um, of that bar was that in New Orleans, they have these huge windows that you can sort of walk out of. They're like doors almost. Yes. And, be- and this was set on the uh, uh, upstairs. Second floor. Up, yeah. Hence the uh, upstairs lounge. And there was really only one way in and one way out. This long sort of stairwell, which yes. was sort of this tunnel of fire. So that's really why the fire was so quick and so menacing. Well, one of the things that you got, that they point out so um, specifically that's made very clear in your show is that the fire was started somewhere in that stairwell. And, the, you know, we anybody who's been to high school knows yes. that, like, fire feeds off oxygen. Yeah. So it was kind of contained in that sort of, like, stairwell. Yes. But then when somebody opened the door... Channeled it all, all the way up. Yeah, exactly. All the way up. And the reason I bring up the windows is... Uh, for safety measures, they put bars on the windows, yeah. Yeah. which they don't normally do. Yeah. So people couldn't get out once the fire started. Wasn't it? I feel like I read that it was to keep people from falling through the windows That's exactly from the right. inside. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So the irony of that 
is astounding. Yeah. And the irony also of it being the first Orlando, really. Exactly. Um, uh, and someone supposedly, uh, who was homosexual, who was gay, but self-loathing and self-hating caused the fire. So this is something that is handled so beautifully in your show. Oh my God, I'm going to cry. Because I knew that going in, that the thought, one of the thoughts is that it was somebody who had been either, was they either there that night and got kicked out or right. was somebody who had been around and, and you who had been taunted and, and, and ostracized. Yes. And, so it, it, but we don't know for sure who did we it. Don't so know it could for have sure. been that. It could have been a cop. It could have been a random homophobe that knew that it was, we don't know. But one of the ideas is that it could have been somebody who was gay and was there. And I think what I love, one of the things I love so much about your show is that it presents that as a possibility, but does not answer the question. Yes. And so, you know, you, you can go and research that. Yeah. You can go research the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons we don't know about it, and a lot of people don't know about it, is because they didn't want us to know about it. Right. It was barely a blip on the news that day. Yeah. They left these people burned alive, you know, burned, well, burned in in the bars. I mean, um, for a whole day. One of the things that is that you guys present in the show and that is real is that, you know, and and this was from a news report from the time, is that there was one of the patrons was literally burned alive in one of those windows trying to get out. Yes. And the people across the street just stood there and watched. They did. Nobody tried to help. No one tried to help. Yeah. And the, um, the fire department came and, you know, it's sort of like, well, you know. Yeah. Another day, another dollar. And uh, the news reports that night. Also, you had people who were actually at the bar who did make it out, the few that did, who were so shamed into not speaking about it because they would lose their jobs. They would lose some of their family members may not have even known that they were there at the bar that night. I mean, and this is something that we'll talk about, too, in New York and when we talk about Hit the Wall. But, you know, it was was perfectly legal for – for news outlets to publish the names of people Absolutely. who were arrested in bar raids. Bar raids happened all the time. And it was against the law for anybody, uh, any gay person to have a government job. So that's a teacher, a firefighter, a police officer. So anybody in a position like that would not only lose their job, but then would be registered as a sex offender, which makes getting a job anywhere impossible. Impossible. Which uh, is one of the, sorry, I'm talking so much, Nathan. No, we talk, we're talking together. And um, because it's such a passionate uh, subject matter and it's so real and yeah. it's still happening today that yes. you can get fired for being a homosexual yes so let's not lose that well one of the things <laughs> that's so beautiful about the show that the show highlights is that what before the fire what gay bars meant to and still in a lot of places yeah. mean a nucleus gay culture. yes and a, a, nucleus, safe a place haven. a safe haven a community where people can come together and be themselves completely and what max vernon this wonderful young phenom has done has brought 2017 to 1973 you know we have a character of west who who time travels back to 1973 to discover these wonderful people and he sort of raises them up from the dead if yeah. you will and um and the things that are happening in 2017 uh along with the things that were happening in 1973 had this wonderful clash and we learn a lot about ourselves through the generations yeah you know and and i think too that the character from 2017 learns a lot about him like one of the things that's pointed out so brilliantly is that in 2017 the interpersonal connections are so fewer that you know people don't go to gay bars as much for community because of like grinder and whatever you know it's it's so easy to meet people on the internet that like the there there we're losing that sense of community there's that beautiful line um where 
you know the two the the two men are talking about like Wes and Patrick hooking up, right? And Jeremy Pope and Taylor Fry. And what is wrong with Taylor Fry? Why does he look like that? Listen, he was carved out of stone. What on earth? Listen, what out, of be- out of beautiful marble that yeah. I get to see every night. <laughs> yes, and those I like. The, I, I can't. They're I both so gorgeous together. Yeah, so I know. I, love I know. It. I love it. Um, but he says, you know, they're the the one from 2017 is like, I don't know if I want to hook up with you. I haven't seen any pictures of you. Right. And he's like, I'm standing right in front of you. <laughs> you know. Um, and yeah. So it's just okay. Let's talk about how the show got made. How long have you been involved with the, with the show? Well, um, luckily. For me, Max Vernon wrote the part of Willie for me. Wow. Yes. How long has it been? Five years. Wow. So five, almost six, um, but definitely five, because uh, he was still in graduate school at um, NYU, which is, has one of the few musical theater programs for musical composition. Oh, I didn't know yes, that. Yes, um, on the graduate level for yeah. musical composers. So this is so important mm-hmm. to mention. And um, I knew how brilliant he was then. And I said that if this ever comes to fruition and whatever, um, you know, along the way, whatever workshops are happening or whatever readings are happening and if I'm available, I would love to continue to do Willie because I think he's such a wonderful, fabulous, effervescent character that also brings people together. And, yeah. you know, it's so lovely. And it's so lovely when I've had several composers write stuff for me and I can't say enough how honored I am when that happens and they truly get it. Yeah. You know, and Max gets it. Yeah. Where did this start? Did it start as like just like readings and, and workshops? Um, I believe, I don't want to misspeak, um, but I believe that this was part of Max's thesis, a part uh. of his finals, if you will. And, um, and so it was happening literally at NYU. Um, you know, they have this program where professionals come in to uh, work on different graduate uh, uh, students' pieces. Um, I'm about to do another one soon, in about a week, I think, actually, at NYU. Wow. And um, double duty. <laughs> and, and so that's where it started. And then we had, you know, readings at, uh, what, Ars Nova and um, this space and that space where there were invited readings um, at Pearl Studios. So over the years, you know, Max kept refining and writing and working with uh, wonderful dramaturgs like Mary Kay Burke, Mm -hmm. um, Mary Kate, uh, uh, to get it to where it is now. And for this to be his first production um, at this seminal moment in history. Yeah that we're having here in these United States, let alone the world, yeah. I think is so important. I mean, the confluence of all that stuff happening um, is is major. And so it's happening exactly when it should be happening. Yeah. And, you know, it gives people something to fight for when you know where you've come from. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. By the way, the Broadway dot, uh, the Broadway.com, the Broadway uh, con... Barbican, yes. oh my god, yes, was so successful. Yeah, I've had so many people come up to me. Our panel, yes, yeah. So if, for people who don't know, we did an LGBT panel at BroadwayCon, and it was you and Andrew Keenan Bolger and Lisa Crone and Beth Malone and Jay Armstrong Johnson, and we had such an incredible conversation. We did. What have people have been saying to you? Um, please do that again. Yeah. Um, that's one of the reasons I will come back to. Ugh. Uh, it needs to be longer. Event. We need to do like a 90-minute or two-hour Well, who knew, right? Yeah, I know. I know. It was packed. Yeah. And everyone loved it. It yeah. was so inspiring and so uplifting for the people on the dais, yep. as well as the people in the audience. And several of those people have come to see The View Upstairs. Oh, my God. Really? So 
it's just been such a wonderful That's amazing. Broadway Con in general is yeah. such an incredible thing. I'm so happy to be a part of it. Yes, you know? it's really successful. It's really good. Yeah. Um, we have to keep doing it. Yes. It brings all of these wonderful, exciting, eccentric worlds together yes. and I just love it well, what, what I was going to ask you about The View Upstairs was you guys are in the middle of this like really exciting and I feel like kind of rare commercial off-Broadway run like can I just say your set looks expensive like it looks it Jason is, Sherwood yep it sounds incredible I didn't I honestly I'm such a dummy I thought you guys were singing to a track because I didn't see the band <laughs> and then I looked up and I saw that the band's like in another room yes James Dobinson is our musical director and conductor and arranger and he's f- flawless yeah. as well Every Everyone's at the top of their game. Yes. And that's what makes shows work. Yes. You know, when everyone is good, Anita Yavich does, did the costumes. I mean, I'm wearing wonderful, all bespoke, yeah. you know, lovely costumes. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it's so, in that, it's the like lighting, the, the sound. The sound is incredible. Like, everything is the amazing. Set. It's an immersive set, which yes. I think, too, is like, you literally want to order a drink. You will, you want to order a drink. As soon as you walk into the theater, yeah. you think, oh, oh, wait a minute. Am I going to be sitting on the stage? Yeah, exactly. exactly. And another old fashioned, please. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, that, oh, it's at the Lynn Redgrave Theater, too, which yes. I've never been to before. The Culture Project is such a wonderful space. Yeah. You know, and so easy to get to. Yeah. On Bleecker and Lafayette. You know, people need to go see this not just because it's an amazing story, it's a true story. We need to know our history, but to support a commercial off Broadway run, which is so rare. I think so. Listen, Harvey Firestein is, is down at the public doing something yeah. about the LGBT community. We've got um, other stuff happening at the same time when we rise just happen listen yeah it is time for us to um close in ranks yeah and to really stand strong together yes and uh i think uh the way you do that is you do go and you support these wonderful shows i mean we're we're making it happen downtown yeah we are it's making it happen and you guys are you guys are running like it's running uh, dan was just telling me that you guys are running until like mid-may at yeah, least right now at least yeah so come on down we're, we're making it happen it's a beautiful show that you will cry you will laugh you have all the feels as the young people say today yeah exactly all the feels let's go backwards a little bit because i really want to talk about hit the wall okay sure um i remember at the barrow street at the barrow street theater it was 2013 i think so yeah Yeah. because i just finished priscilla queen of the desert yes so i remember reading that it was coming from chicago from the steppenwolf like garage project yes i think that's like their studio space yeah how did you become involved in the show because you did not do it in chicago i did not do it in chicago i auditioned for it the good old-fashioned way i must say i don't have to audition a lot these days that's so nice because i've been around since the tablets Since saltpeter, since rope, I won't go on. Um, uh, but when I do, it's always for something really special. Yeah. And I saw this script and I said, oh, this is wonderful. And it was the anniversary of Stonewall. And our president, well, my president, um, yeah. Barack Obama, uh, <laughs> had just mentioned Stonewall in his inaugural address. Yeah. Along with Seneca Falls, I mean, yeah. Ah. So for people who don't know, hit the wall is is I I I guess I'm still kind of unclear as to like it's kind it deals with the events of the Stonewall right, Rides, but it's in, not in and of, around yes. And but part of the the point it's trying to make is that the how do you, how do you say in the in like the learning so people didn't really start writing down the history of the Stonewall Riots until about ten years after they happened. By which point, a lot of, like, legend had sort of sprung up that may or may not be real. And also, like, every single human being who was in New York City in 1969 claims to have been at the Stonewall Riots. (laughs) Exactly. And there's not 
not a lot of evidence to support it. Uh, simultaneously at the Stonewall riots and at Judy Garland's funeral. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, like, the, one of the main tenets of Hit the Wall was, like, I was there, I was there. But it's the idea of, like, the, you cannot understand the history of Stonewall without also understanding the mythology of the of it and 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 like why it was so important. What was your level of knowledge of the Stonewall riots coming into the show? It was the basic knowledge, right? That um, you had some drag queens, yeah, who got upset one night. They were tired, sick, and tired of being uh, harassed by the local cops. Sick and tired of it, and you also had. You know, some maybe some mob bosses running several bars downtown, mm-hmm. you know, including it, Stonewall. Yeah, including Stonewall and taking money underneath and blah, 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 and exchanging of hands and all of this sort of thing. And as long as, you know, someone was being paid off over here and someone was being paid off over there, everything was copacetic. But every once in a while, you had to have the raids. Yeah. And people were tired of it. They wanted to go to a place where they could feel safe and be themselves. And so they fought back. This one night, they just fought back. It became to a, you know, it came, everything came to a fevered pitch. Yeah. And they fought back. And then there was a series of fighting back. Yeah. It went on for like a week. Yeah. So people don't realize that. It wasn't just one night. Yeah. There was a series of fighting back. And that's what I knew. And then diving into some of the mythology and some of the people who were actually there, it was wonderful to get to know some of the people who were actually there, they would come in and do these talkbacks with us um, during the rehearsal process. Also, strategically, where the Barrel Street Theater is... Just like steps from Stonewall. uh, Literally a stone's throw away. Yeah. You had a lot of people being housed at the Barrow Street because the Barrow Street, that, 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 that building, that edifice was a place for communities to come. Wow. It was almost like a, a settlement, if you will, like the Henry Street settlement. It was, yeah. the Barrow Street was that equivalent. So in what do you Village. mean, like during, during the time of Stonewall? Yes. Oh. You had some people who were sheltered over there. Like at the, the building where the actual theater yes. is now. I did not know yes, that. You had that. So, you know, and, um, and some people who were working in that in that space at the time who witnessed yeah. even you know what was going on so it was such an exciting piece to do because here here's the thing lgbtq history is american history course, as well yeah. you know it's just history period mm-hmm. There are plenty of straight people who were involved with Stonewall yeah in and around oh yeah all of it you know, so it, it it affected everyone. There's this great story of this. Um, he was famous. Dave Dave Von Ronk was his name. He was a, like a folk singer. Right next to Stonewall on Christopher Street, there's a bar called the Lion's Head, which mm. used to be like where people would go and like like folk singers in the '60s would like go and and perform there. And he was one of those people. And he, the, for people who don't know about the Stonewall riots, like the as the 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 bar was raided and as they were letting people go for the first time ever, people didn't leave. They were gathered on Christopher Street. They just waited for their friends to come out and then that's kind of when the that's when the riots happened and then the police because they were so outnumbered barricaded themselves in the bar and one of the people they grabbed oh yes i forgot about all of that yes that's yeah. exactly right so they grabbed this guy dave von rock and pulled him into the bar with them and so yes. there is this amazing it's out there in a lot of the books you can read this like straight man's perspective of being inside the bar with the police officers who thought they were gonna die and like what it was it's just incredible so like to, it's what you're saying like there were so many straight people in yeah. Yeah. In Stonewall. So many. And so, you know, when you have uh, groups like Listen and, um, you know, um, these, these straight alliances that yeah. happen, it's, it's for real. It's yeah. true yeah. because we're all here 
were all together. What I loved about When We Rise, because I know not everyone loved it, but what I did love was that you realize when you watch a show like that, that when the AIDS epidemic started, they were so comfortable for yeah. it to be just a gay disease. Yes, of course. And then when everyone yeah. started to be affected, then it was like, oh, I guess we got to do something about this. Yeah. And my point is you need to start there. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's about everybody. Totally. And you it's know? amazing, too, that like our, that our stories from the LGBT community and movement are finally starting to be told. Part of it is because they're just interesting stories, you know? Hello. I mean – if anybody's listening to this and hasn't read the book and the band played on, go read it. It's an amazing book written by Randy Schultz. We've come into some knowledge in the last few years about some stuff that wasn't exactly right, but it's, <laughs> it's a very, it's a very, it's just an amazing book. Or The Mayor of Castro Street, yes. which is by Randy Schultz about Harvey Milk and, and his whole story. I mean, there's so, like you were saying about how gay history is American history. It it's is. so interesting. It is. And, you know, and I say to people all the time, uh, we don't exist in a vacuum. It's like right. we're here. We're um, literally on every street, every street corner, um, <laughs> you know, on every subway car, uh, you know, at, at, at your local Chipotle. Yeah. So, <laughs> Especially so, yeah. at Chipotle. So it's like, you know, it's about all of us, really. Yeah. You know, I don't want to water anything down because we're still fabulous and all of that. Exactly. But at the same time, you know, we coexist. Yep. One of the one, just one more interesting tidbit about Stonewall, and one of the reasons, like the upstairs lounge fire, it it really didn't get much coverage the next no. day. There's like a couple of people mentions. don't remember that. No, and the coverage was very homophobic. I mean, it was like the um the 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 um headline in the Village Voice was Queen Bees are stinging mad. Like it was, it just it was making fun of gay yeah. people. Um, but the offices of the Village Voice were at what is now the duplex. Yes. And there happened to be the duplex is a bar that's literally right next door to Stonewall or like maybe two doors down. But there happened to be reporters working late that night that just happened to be there and to witness it. And that was how it got some of the coverage that it got in the early days. And the confluence of Judy Garland's death happening around the same time yeah, yeah. gets conflated, but it's not unlike now when so much is going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you have to act up. You have to right. get involved. You have to resist and and be counted, stand up and be counted because there is so much going on. Yeah. And it's so easy to go into, you know, sort of, sort of a shell and go, oh, you know, uh, put your hands over your eyes and your ears. and But we can't do that. We right. have to do just the opposite now. Yeah. Yeah. How did you make your way to New York City? Okay. So um, I went to Webster University Conservatory, mm-hmm. a wonderful school in the Midwest. And um, after I graduated, my parents didn't want me to move to New York right away, although I had been in New York several times prior to that. Um, so I went to Chicago first for a year, oh. got my equity card again. Wow. Um, and then I moved to New York. And that would have been in, oh God, 91? Uh-huh. Yep. So I've been here ever since, off and on between here and, and Los Angeles as well. But um, I got here, uh, got a, um apartment on the Upper East Side. Wow. Well, I'm going to tell a story and I don't want anyone to be offended. Please. This is how I got my apartment on the Upper East Side, <laughs> East 74th Street between 1st and 2nd um, during the early 90s. My parents called the Chamber of Commerce and said, where would a white girl move from ages 18 <laughs> to 25? <laughs> <laughs> they called the Chamber of Commerce. Well, that they got in contact with, you know, um, someone who would know that how is... to. 
And that's what, because they said, you know, we have a daughter and blah, blah, blah. And oh, my God. That is the funniest thing. Because they just wanted me to be safe. So, <laughs> and that's where I moved to. And that apartment was fantastic. It was brand new. It was gutted. I was in a, in a garden apartment on East 74th Street between 1st and 2nd. And my neighbors above me, I swear to God, were two gay flight attendants in their 60s. Wow. That had been together forever. They had a huge mural of Barbara Streisand oh in their apartment. God. And that was my first experience. I mean, that's, that, that's amazing. So it was off to the races after that. And then I got, I booked something right away, the first national of Jesus Christ superstar with Irene Cara and Carl Neely. Irene uh, Ted Neely and Cara? Carl Anderson. Yeah. Wow. That was my first show. You made your, your Broadway debut in um, Wild Party, yes. right? The brothers don't model have a ticklish treat. A delightful little ditty with a hot new beat. Uptown is looking more like downtown, which is looking more like uptown every day. Black folks are sounding more like white folks who are sounding more like black folks in every way. Martha Graham and E.B. White caught wet with Ethel Waters. Oh, while Langston Hughes pretends he's one of Mrs. Astor's daughters. Ha! Uptown is looking more like downtown, which is looking more like uptown every day. Because I'm always so fascinated by people who make their Broadway debuts in like a great meaty role. Yeah. You know, because, and, and now, okay, forgive me, I'm not super familiar with The Wild Party. No. But it's... Every role was a great role, right? Every role was a great role, and there was an amazing cast. Um, I'm not going to name names, but I will say we've had a lot of people on that show from that show on this podcast. Oh, fabulous. And one of them said to me after the fact, we turn off the microphones, and the person said, okay, now what do you really want to know about the Wild <laughs> <laughs> And then we got some crazy stories. Well, there were a lot of crazy stories. I happen to uh, know all of them. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, I remained above the fray. Really? Yeah. I don't know why that happened. Um, and it turned out to be one of the most wonderful experiences because not only did I get to, to work with my, one of my idols, uh, Eartha Kitt, um, but we became friends Ugh. and that was a big deal. And then Tony Collette was so wonderful. Yeah. And then I worked with my friends, Norm Lewis, Michael McElroy, Leah Hawking, Sally Murphy, Jane Summerhays. I mean, Brooke Sonny Morber, Nancy Yarius, I mean, uh, like, Mark Kudish, yes. Adam Gruper, Stuart Zagnet. Listen, I mean, and the wonderful Tanya Pinkins. Yeah. So uh, you you don't get any better than that. And then to work with Michael John Lacusa and George C. Wolfe and then the wonderful, uh, you know, set and yeah. lights. And it, it was a, a, a charmed wonderful experience that I realized as it was happening. You did. Despite all of the Michigas that was happening with yeah. personalities. Know, personalities. <laughs> did I leave out Mandy Patinkin? Yes. Um, I didn't mean to. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, so with all of that Michigas happening, uh, I still understood what was actually going on. Yeah. And so even when we closed, I felt such a f- wonderful sense of accomplishment mm-hmm. with that being my Broadway debut with that score um, before the August Wilson became the August Wilson. Cause yeah, I, I believe it Virginia? was the, the Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a wonderful experience. I have nothing. I have no bad feelings about it. Yeah. Um, in hindsight. Now, mind you, a lot of sh- stuff went down. <laughs> I can't believe I haven't cursed yet on this podcast. <laughs> Please help yourself. A lot of shit went down. <laughs> So I'm not trying to, you know, sugarcoat a lot just, of shit. But, you know, 
coincidentally, there was another off-Broadway version of The Wild Party happening with Andrew Lippa, who I adore, and I adore that cast, and all of our friends were in that cast as well. random... And we supported each other, which is a myth that we didn't. Oh, that... All did. I love that. Loved seeing that show. They loved... uh, It was such a wonderful thing. We thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the papers wanted to, you know... The papers... (laughs) They wanted to pit a, you know, a feud with Bet- <laughs> with Betty and Joan, you know. So then the next, the next like big thing that I that I've been reading about that you did was called Wig Out. Off yes. Broadway. Will you talk? I don't know anything about that show. It sounds um, like right up my alley. Well, Wig Out was a, an amazing show by Terrell Alvin McCraney, who just won an Oscar for Moonlight. Hello. Oh my God. Yes. So there's that. In what capacity? Um, as 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 writer, he wrote it. Yes. Wow. Yes. Um. So can you tell that I do not go to the movies? Listen, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> Wig Out was very successful. One of the most successful shows at the Vineyard Theater. Wow. After title of show or or congruent with title of show, really, written by my dear friend Hunter Bell, who also went to Webster University. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, it was a show about houses. Do you know about houses? Oh, uh, the house of... of um, La Beja or the house of... Yes, I've know, seen Paris is yes, Burning. thank you very much. So <laughs> if you want to... If, if, if you will, Paris is Burning is a good reference point yeah, for, yeah. The, for, the, for the show. And um, it had a phenomenal cast. And it meant so much to me because it was my, my return really to the stage because I've been in LA for a while and had been wanting to move back. I had just finished... Um, uh, what was recent Hitch? I had just done Hitch, oh, and wow. I just done the comeback with Lisa Kudrow. Yes, and yes, I really course. wanted to desperately come back to New York, and this was an opportunity to do so. And so, in 2008, and it just was magic for me. So I was like, I've got to come back to New York. I belong on the stage. Yeah, yeah. It is my bread and butter. It's what I love the most. And um, so it it was just a wonderful, wonderful piece. Um, it, it sort of Greek tragedy meets uh, Paris is burning meets oh just I mean that is amazing incredible piece it was 2008 2008 uh, I remember uh, it, I remember it so vividly because Eartha died that year on Christmas Day oh. and my show was one of the last shows she saw oh wow um, against doctor's orders she you know ordered a car to drive her down from Westchester and she came to see my show no one believed that she was coming uh, uh, and i i wasn't flipping about it i said well i think earth is going to come to opening so and everyone was like yeah right <laughs> and then of course she burst through the uh, back <laughs> the dressing room doors oh. nathan oh my god and she stayed for the party and i'll never forget it oh that is amazing did you guys record an album for that uh it was actually a play with music. Oh, it wasn't a musical. No, it wasn't a musical. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. Does it get done? Um, I believe they're trying to do a revival of it concurrently. Oh, that would be amazing. And it is recorded at Lincoln Center. Oh, it is. It's that good. Yeah. So you need to go see it. It was directed by Tina Landau. Oh, my God. Listen, I adore her. Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. She's phenomenal. Um, And then you did Priscilla. It's raining so 
I love Priscilla so much. I, Ellen Marsh is like my best friend. She's like I just of, interviewed her. At, yes, yes, Broadway. Oh, for you the, did? Uh, for the TDF Honors Kinky Boots. Uh, um, when was that? Monday. Yes, she. My. I always tell the story. I love her. Yeah, she's like I saw her go on in every role in that show because that bitch went on in every role. Uh, she did. She went on for you one night. I'm just it, kidding. Well, but like, she, maybe she. Uh, probably, she could wait have. a minute. The only thing is, first of all, she could have. <laughs> um, she's that gorgeous. Um, yeah. But but I will say this. Tony Sheldon and I are the only two people in the show who never missed. Are you serious? So Tony's done thousands of productions of Priscilla. He's thousands. incredible. Who I and I adore him. I just saw him in Amelie, and yeah. he's so amazing. Well, he's just a wonderful, wonderful being. Yeah, um, a super performer and just a delight as a human being. Uh, so. And 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 for our our Broadway run, I never missed. So I did six hundred and forty five performances. That is um, is that important to you? It is. Yeah, because people come to see you. you. Yeah, of course. And um and so if I can, you know, if I have to bring on a little IV drip, um, <laughs> but if I can, I do. And so I never missed. So I never saw the show. Well, there were a lot of people in that show who did not have that work ethic, because Ellen would literally go on with like one track in the morning, and then like one track for the evening, and then the next day, like she was a swing. She's like, I'll never go on. She was. She did like eight show weeks. Yeah. And and what's so funny is people tell me that the show was so wonderful so and that it made them feel so good. Yeah. And I have no idea because I, I never saw it. The first time I saw it, I won the lottery and I just spent the entire time trying to look up Nick Adams' shorts <laughs> or dress or whatever he was wearing because God damn and it. And you want to talk about someone who's really sweet. Is I know. I never met him and then I got to, I did like a Facebook Live thing for Broadway Backwards uh-huh. last year for BCEFA and they were like, oh, you're going to talk Nick Adams. And I was like, I don't think I'll be doing that. I don't think I actually can do that. I think we did that together. We did Welcome welcome to the Holiday Holiday Inn. Yes. Nick and I. Yes. Oh my God, that yeah. was amazing. Yeah. What an amazing event that is. Yeah, it's so wonderful. So um, Nick Adams is wonderful. Um, his uh, beautiful partner, Kyle Brown, is wonderful. Yes. He's doing Anastasia right now. I have so many friends from that show. Yeah. I mean, uh, Josh Busher West, Brian Butcher West. I mean, the, the list is endless. Yeah. Kayla Settle. My wonderful Kayla Settle. I love Kayla Settle so much. So we, I did a couple panels at BroadwayCon, and one of them was the 100th episode of this podcast. Yes. And on that panel... I love her. Oh, my God. So it was, we, we just tried to get, like, our favorite people, and not everybody was available. So I'm not saying the people who were on that panel were our most favorite of all time, but, like, the ones that we could get that could do it were, like, Kayla, Celia Keenan-Bolger, Andrew Keenan-Bolger, uh-huh. Daisy Egan, and Beth Malone. I love Daisy. Too. Oh, my God. Da- Daisy is literally, like, we tell people that she's my daughter's birth mother. Well, can I just tell you, we did the uh, West Coast premiere of um, The Wild Party together. She played the Sally Murphy role in L.A. And Michael John Lacusa asked me to do the L.A. portion. So I did that. I opened that up several years ago. Well, so Kayala was doing something on the main stage, and Uh she had 10 minutes to get from the main stage to – it is like a a half-a-mile walk. And I was like – I remember calling her that morning, and I was like, girl, we need to get you like a handler. Because Kayala Settle is – people love her. There's no way she's going to get through, you know, the 6,000 people that were at BroadwayCon in the hallways. She did it. Somehow in 10 Listen, minutes, when she, got there. if she wants to do something, that's true. She's going to make it happen. That's very true. Trust and believe in that. There have been days, and I've said this to her, we live in the same neighborhood, <laughs> that I'll see her on the subway and we'll have like a great talk. And there are other days that I see her and she has that I am not to be spoken to face. <laughs> and then you don't talk to her. I adore her Me too. so very much. And she's so, you know what? I'm embarrassed by this because I have so many friends who are beautiful mm-hmm. and talented. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm embarrassed by it. Yeah. I, I have so many. 
It's an embarrassing thing. You know, it's an embarrassment of riches. I mean, <laughs> I just have to pinch myself sometimes because everyone's so wonderful. So what 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 else is happening? Where where so you're going to be you're in the view upstairs at least until the middle end of May. Yes, and you know, other stuff is happening that I cannot talk about. Yes, of course. But um just know that you know, I've always got stuff brewing. <laughs> I've always had stuff brewing. Uh, the wonderful uh, Jennifer Tepper just asked me about um, coming back to 54 Below uh, to do a show this year. And so um, I haven't actually gotten back to her. So, yeah. Because that happened today. She listens to this podcast. So she's going to oh, know. Oh, lovely, lovely. So know. I'm going to get back to her today. <laughs> and because um, I adore her and I adore that venue. Mm-hmm. And they're so kind over there. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely going to be doing a show sometime soon. Um, well, this year, if I can work it in. But. You know, she's a busy little bee. Yeah. And um, I'm happy to say that. And it's just happy to be a part of the community. I'm happy that I, I can be a part of a community that not only um, supports you, but lifts you up. Yeah, right? absolutely. And we got to stay together. We've got so much uh, fighting to do. Yeah. You know, but in totally. the most positive way. Yep, absolutely. We got we got some work to do. We got some work to do. And I cannot thank you Me? enough for being a part of that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean... Anybody who can do any little thing, you know, we just gotta, we just gotta get it done. We gotta get it done, boo. I know. We gotta get it done. I love you. Thank you for doing this podcast. Yes, thank you. You're the best. You're the best. Bye. Bye. Theater people, you can and you must see The View upstairs, now through May 20th at the Lynn Redgrave Theater. Find info and tickets at theviewupstairs.com. Special thanks to our sponsor, Stage Door Manor. Check them out at stagedoormanor.com. Special thanks also to our Patreon associate producers, Robbie Roselle, Cynthia Wallach, and Ty Williams. And to Steve Tipton, Eric Emsch, Keith Allen Herzog, Ellen Marsh, and the staff at Oswald's. We'll be back on Wednesday. Yes, you're getting two episodes this week, just like last week, with Come From Away's Caesar Samayoa. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking. Can't sit in a corner, be too large, around the back, we'll both be.